we ought to say thank you to the Jen Bryn Joyce Praise and Worship Team. Amen? That's a new name we've given this group. It's easy to clap. I want you to get out the biggest bill and hand it in as an offering for them, a love offering. It could be your light bill. It could, no, I'm sorry. We're not going to go there with that today. It is an honor to be back here. You people are so wonderful. I brag on you all the time. I do. I'm not just saying that because I'm standing here in this pulpit. But because you're a wonderful body of believers and you have a wonderful pastor. And I brag on him all the time. In fact, I'm teaching a course on the church right now in the seminary at ORU. And he's going to be one of my guest uh, speakers. And we're just going to get everything we can get from him about how to do church in the 21st century. And you're doing it right here at Abiding Harvest. And what an honor it is to be with you. I am really honored to be with Dr. Jimmy Buskirk. Forty-some-odd years ago, a giant of a man spiritually walked on the campus of ORU, and Oral Roberts latched on to him and said, you're the man God wants to use to raise up a seminary. A few years after that, Dr. Buskirk called my home in Louisville, Kentucky, and my wife answered. I wasn't there, and he said, Thea, I want you and Larry to pray about his coming to teach in the seminary here at ORU. And my wife said, well, Dr. Buskirk, I'll tell you, I'll tell Larry you call, but I can tell you right now, we're not interested. <laughs> we had planted a church there, and we thought that was our life's work. That church's still going strong, and we're gratified. But when I came home, I said, you said what? And it took us seven months of prayer and two trips out here to decide that God really was calling us to Tulsa. And oh, I'm so glad we accepted that call. I'm getting to know this incredible family and uh, now this bigger family, this family of love. It really is a family of love that marks you. And I'm honored to be with you today. I want to ask everybody to get out a Bible of some sort, either in print or in your phone or your iPad or whatever, and turn with me to the eighth chapter of the Gospel according to Paul. Chapter 8 of the gospel according to Paul, which is what? The book of Romans. That's right. Somebody's already ahead of me on that. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to go to a little, on a little brief journey through uh, this wonderful letter of Paul, the apostle, to this church there in Rome. And let's see if this PowerPoint's going to cooperate with me today. I'm, all right, there we go. I am amazed at how God has chosen books of the Bible to get the church back on its path. And uh, one of the most important books God has used down through the history of the church is the book of Romans. Uh, when you look back through our history, some of the greatest giants of the faith had their lives turned around through the witness of this one book of the Bible, the book of Romans. For example... If this thing would work for me here, St. Augustine, I, I can go back here and look at it this way, can I? St. Augustine was a man living a very profligate life, throwing his life away. He had a godly mother who prayed for him, and he began to listen to a great preacher by the name of Ambrose, and Ambrose preached the gospel the way Paul presents it right here in Romans. And uh, one day in a struggle to commit his life to Christ, Augustine Sir, it said he heard a little child's voice, tole lege, 
take and read. And he reached down, and there was a, a, a manuscript there of Romans, the 13th chapter. And through the witness of that passage about leaving the life of, of darkness and going into the God's light, he had his life transformed by this gracious gospel of God. And he became one of the giants of the faith. I suppose the greatest theologian in the history of the church. And it was through the witness of the book of Romans. Then there was an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther, a seminary professor training pastors for the churches, but he himself had no peace with God, no full assurance of faith. And he was tormented by this. And one day he made a radical decision to start teaching his seminarians the Bible. And he started teaching them Romans and Galatians. And when he discovered the gospel according to Paul in those two great epistles, he said he felt like the doors of paradise had opened to him. And we all know the result of that transformation, the Protestant Reformation. In one sense, we're all children of Luther in that regard because he rediscovered the gospel through the witness of the book of Romans. Then there was this wonderful young Anglican preacher by the name of John Wesley. And John came to America to be a missionary and he went back to England saying, I, needed to be, I need to be evangelized. His, he was a dismal failure here in so many personal and prof professional ways in America. But when he came back, he went to a little chapel called Aldersgate. And guess what was happening? Someone was reading from the preface to Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed. And we all know the rest of that story. And here we are in a Wesleyan church right here. I tell all our Pentecostal charismatic folk there at ORU, you're all children of Wesley whether you realize it or not. He's a giant in the faith and his theology and his life, his spirituality has impacted us all and helped form what we know as the Pentecostal charismatic movement. Then in the 20th century, there was this Swiss pastor who had imbibed liberal theology in his seminary pilgrimage and went off to his first pastorate and began to preach that theology with no biblical basis and was getting nowhere and he was frustrated and they were frustrated so he made a radical decision to preach the Bible. And he took them on a journey through the book of Romans. He became so enamored with the message of grace in that book that he decided to publish his own commentary on the book of Romans. And when he did, it started a revolution we know as the Neo-Reformation or the Neo-Orthodox movement. One of the most influential movements in modern theology. And he perhaps is the most influential theologian of the 20th century church, Karl Barth. And it was the book of Romans that changed his life. The message of grace, the message of the gospel in the book of Romans. So, how did Paul put this book together? Well, he gave us a, a good old gospel train. And I want to show you, give you a, a flyby, an overview of how Paul put this book of Romans together. The, you start off with the engine, of course, and that's the introduction. And the first 17 verses there, he built, basically tells you what he's going to be talking about, especially in those 16th and 17th verses where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everybody who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, 
He says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And now he's going to unwrap that, those two verses throughout the rest of this book we know as the book of Romans. Now, you know, archaeologists uh, actually came up with a, a photograph. I don't know if you're aware of this. An actual photograph of the Apostle Paul. So I thought I would put him in there as the, as the conductor on the train. <laughs> you know, he looks a lot like me now that I think about it. That was when I was about 30 years younger, too, by the way. It's too bad. I don't know why this thing is not there we go the next thing he deals with is, is the problem of sin now that's my greatest weakness I when I lecture on sin I tell my students I I'm very weak in teaching this doctrine because I've never experienced it it's all theory to me and so generally then I need to call, I'll have one of you come and give your testimony there next time I teach on the doctrine of sin well what is the gospel It's God's answer to the number one problem of the humanity and that is sin sin uh, I think it was President Truman, some friend of ours, just visited his library up in, in uh, Kansas City. He came out of church and they, they said, what did the preacher preached on, preach on? He wasn't a man of many words. He said, sin. And they said, well, what did he say about it? He said, well, he was against it. And we're all against it, but then how do you overcome it? Well, that's what Paul's talking about. He's, he's, he's diagnosing the situation of humanity and our problem of sin. Then... Uh, he, he, I skipped a car. There we go. Abraham becomes our great example, our father in the faith, because he was justified by faith, just as Paul uh, was explaining that doctrine in this epistle. And then he has this one big car on the train. And I don't know why this thing is. Scott, stretch your hand out toward me. There we go. Salvation as freedom. If, if I were going to title a book on Paul, I would title it this. Paul, the apostle of the free spirit. Paul had discovered freedom in Jesus Christ. His Christian ethic was an ethic of freedom. His basic Christian ethic was this. Instead of rules and regulations, just say, Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? Let me tell you, you talk about raising the standard from all our little petty legalisms. Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? Should I go to this movie? Should I read this book? Should I enter into this relationship? You see, it's about being led by the Holy Spirit. And so we have freedom in Christ. Freedom from the wrath of God, chapter 5. Freedom from the power of sin, chapter 6. Freedom from the condemnation of the law, chapter 7. And even freedom from death itself, chapter 8. Then the next car is chapters 9 through 11 where he talks about Israel's place in God's plan of redemption. And we'll say more about that in a little bit. And then the last half of the book, it's really chapter 12, not 13, is telling us how we live out this gospel, how as we relate to each other in church and as we reach out to the community around us, to the world around us, how we live out this gospel. So it's an incredible, I could, I could teach every course that I have in that school over there at ORU just using this one book of Romans because it's so comprehensive and so carefully laid out. It's a complete systematic theology as it were. But today, I want to focus in on chapter 8, and next time when we get together, I want to focus in on chapter 12. And the theme I want to develop today is full assurance. As I looked back through the book of Romans, and I came to this 8th chapter, and I read it carefully and, and meditatively over and over again, something began to emerge in me, that the primary purpose of this chapter, and we're going to just sort of... Do an overview of it this morning for a few minutes before we go. 
is for us to come to a place of full assurance of faith. And I hope I can go backwards. I want to keep this outline in front of you. It's not going to work, is it, Scott? It, Scott will do it for me. He's a man that does miracles all the time. Amen? And so, I began to realize that this book and this chapter was given so that I, Larry Hart, could come to a full assurance of faith. Well, what is full assurance of faith? Full assurance of faith is knowing that if you died today, you'd be in heaven. You know where you would be if you died today. Well, that's so audacious. Can anybody really know that? Can you know that if you drew your last breath before you left this building today, where you would be in eternity, in heaven or hell? Can you know that? Can anybody really know that? God's Word says you can. John, for example, said, These things have I written unto you in order that you may know that you have eternal life, you who believe in the name of the Son of God. But how do I know whether I'm going to be holding on to Jesus before, when I die? It's not whether you're holding on to Jesus. It's whether He's holding on to you. And Jesus knows how to come into a person's life and transform that person's life and bring them on to glory. Paul wrote the Philippians and said, I'm confident that he who began this good work among you is going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You can have full assurance of faith. Dwight D. Eisenhower is one of the great military leaders of this nation. But when he was on his deathbed and he knew he was going out into eternity, you know who he called to his side? Billy Graham. And he said, Billy... I just want you to go over, go through those Bible passages with, with me one more time so that I'll make sure that I know where I'm going when I draw my last breath. You see, he wanted to know that he could have full assurance of faith. And so, let's look at it with that theme in mind today, this chapter of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law of Moses could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, God condemned. That's the verb of the noun in the first verse, condemnation. God condemned, he pronounced the death penalty on sin in the flesh. In order that, this is the purpose, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life. The last plane trip I took was to Orlando, Florida. I had a marvelous time there with some great church leaders. Randy Frazee, who preaches with uh, Max Lucado down in San Antonio, was sort of the moderator. We had uh, Lynn Sweet representing you Wesleyan folk. We had Don Sweeting, the president of, of, of Orlando, the Reform Seminary there in Orlando, representing the Reform people. And we all did a, a whole days of videos, and you can go to YouTube and see this. Just go to YouTube and type in Zondervan, Z-O-N-D-E-R-V-A-N, forward slash believe, and you can tap into, oh, I guess 10, 15 videos that we did that day. And we had a marvelous time, and we went through uh, this book called Believe. If you go to any bookstore now, you'll find this book 
displayed everywhere. It's a whole program where you take churches on a 40-year journey through what the Scriptures teach and how we do it, how we follow through on our belief with our behavior. And, uh, but when I went out to the Tulsa airport, I actually participated in an incredible miracle. I got on this multi-ton metal contraption called an airplane. And we went screaming through the air, maybe what, 600 miles an hour. And before I knew it, I had literally defied gravity and flown like a bird and landed in Orlando, Florida. It was an amazing experience. It's called riding in an airplane. Now, how do airplanes work? Well, they defy gravity. How does, it, how does that happen? Well, it comes through the law of aerodynamics. You know, the law of gravity never quits. Gravity is always pulling us down. But we discovered through studying birds' wings that there's another law. And if we tap into that law, it actually, as it were, cancels out gravity. We can fly as a bird flies as if there were no gravity. And it's the wind that goes across the convex portion of the, of the wing that creates lift. And so we created these wings shaped like that with these massive jet engines and that air shooting across that convex portion of the wing then creates lift and we can fly. So Bette Midler, you know, is a heretic. She says, you are the wind beneath my wings. No, it's not the wind beneath the wing. It's the wind on top of the wing. So we need to get her straightened out on that. <laughs> She's a heretic in other ways too, but we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> but how does that work in terms of the life of the Spirit? Well, it comes to tapping into the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That law, like the law of aerodynamics, cancels out the law of sin and death. That is, the only way we can overcome the power of sin at work in fallen humanity, including our own fallen humanity, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit? Prayer. Here's a good example. There's a, a few young men in this room today. Have you ever been tempted to lust? No, I don't guess any of you have. But in, at other in Baptist churches, there are young men... That's my background. <laughs> you know, you've been tempted to lust. By the way, is it, is it a sin to be tempted? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ was tempted at all points as we are yet without sin. So Christ was tempted in this area just as he was tempted in every area of human existence and life. But when you're tempted like this, how do you overcome the temptation? Well, why not, when you are tempted like that, begin to pray for that person? Lord, bless that person. They're somebody's daughter. They're somebody's sister. They're somebody's uh, future wife or present wife. Lord, they're a person just like me. All of a sudden, now they're a person again instead of a, an object for your selfish gratification. And as you pray for God to bless their lives, you see, you've set another law at work. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it sets you free from the law of sin and death. He goes on to talk about the mindset of the Spirit. The mindset of the Spirit is life. He says the mindset of the flesh is death and, uh, and bondage. It's what you set your mind on. Here's an example. Don't let a picture of a pink elephant enter your mind right now. Everybody's got a pink elephant in their mind. But you see, if you already knew I was going to pull that trick on you, you could say, okay, I'm going to set my mind on something else so I can actually raise my hand and say, I didn't think of a pink elephant. 
Because you've set your mind on something. What you set your mind on is what transforms you. You know, the, I left my phone in the briefcase uh, on purpose. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I love these phones. I have so much fun with them. I know you do too, but I want to tell you something. They can be a tremendous source of a downward pull spiritually. When, you be, when they dominate your mind, your thinking. Let me tell you what you find on that phone almost 99% of the time. Bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. You turn on the television, it's the same thing. Anywhere you go, where is the good news? I don't even know one place here. It's right here. Let your mind dwell on what is pure, honorable, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, excellent, praiseworthy. Let your mind dwell on these things. We don't, the reason we're not very much different from the lost people around us is because we're thinking about the same things they are. We have no good news for these people. We dwell in the bad news instead of the good news. You see, we don't walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit determine your mindset. Put your mind on Him. You know, He'll reveal Christ to you. He'll open up the Scriptures to you. He'll prompt you to do and say things. For example, Paul says in chapter, uh, in the same chapter, uh, verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Being led by the Spirit. Giving expression to His impressions. I learned this lesson early on in my, my Christian pilgrimage. I came to ORU uh, as a sophomore, a transfer, and uh, from Odessa, Texas. And in the summer, I would go back and work jobs to, for money. I worked as a roustabout in the oil field. I worked in a, a place where we'd go out to people's homes and take money out of rent washing machines. I would pull out the drawer with all the dimes in there, and all the roaches would run out with the dimes. It's a great experience. But one of the most interesting ones was selling Electrolux vacuum cleaners door to door. And I could make 60 bucks every time I sold a vacuum cleaner. So I had two goals in mind that summer. I wanted to share Christ. I wanted to share the gospel with people. So I went door to door. And I wanted to sell vacuum cleaners so I'd have money. None of it was happening. I was not selling vacuum cleaners. People I learned already had a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> And I tried to do the thing they told me to do, and it just wasn't working. I got so desperate, I actually got on my knees and prayed one morning about it. That's how desperate I got. And I said, Lord, you know I'm not getting anywhere. Help me with this. And lead me today. Would you please, please use me for your glory. And you know I need that $60. <laughs> so I drove across to the other side of Odessa to an area of the town I'd never been to before. And as I'm driving down the street, it's 9 in the morning. I look to my right, and there's a field, a plowed field. And something in my spirit just leaped. The Holy Spirit impressed me. I have the soil ready for the gospel right there. Right there. So I turned. I went to the first house. I'm supposed to ring the doorbell. And when the lady answers, I'm supposed to say, Hello, I'm Larry Hart with Electrolux. We're giving a free rug shampoo to all the nice ladies in the neighborhood. Would you like a free rug shampoo? In the process, we get out there, her old vacuum cleaner, and we vacuum. And then I bring the new one out, and I show them all the dirt they're missing and all this, and I sell a vacuum cleaner. Well, I tried that, and I wasn't getting anywhere. So when the lady answered the door, I said, Hi, I'm selling vacuum cleaners. You need one. I was waiting for her to say no so I could walk away. She said, As a matter of fact, young man, we just bought new carpet. And... 
Last night, my husband told me if I wanted to, I could buy a new vacuum cleaner. Come on in. Show me your vacuum cleaner. I walked into the living room, and on the coffee table was a book by Nikki Cruz called Run, Baby, Run. And uh, I said, that's a great book. Have you read that book? She said, well, as a matter of fact, I have. She said, I just got saved in the Methodist church and baptized. And she said, my husband's not a believer. She said, could you come back tonight and show him this vacuum cleaner and share Jesus with him? Now, look. It all started when I gave a simple expression to that impression. This is how exciting the Christian walk can be. Life in the Spirit, folks, is meant to be an adventure. It's meant to be exciting. There may be a little danger involved. Yes. And there may be a little suffering involved. Yes. I mean, your pastor's right in a situation like that right now. All that's going on. There's so much suffering and heartache and misery around the world. But boy, when you let the Spirit of God lead you in your life walk... You can see God's hand in other people's lives, transforming them, changing them, saving them, healing them, delivering them, prospering them, doing wonderful things in the kingdom of God. And it's all because of this life in the Spirit. Uh, but it's not all goosebumps and thrills and chills, is it, Larry? No, it's not. It is not easy. Jesus Christ said following him is the most difficult lifestyle you'll ever embrace. But it's also the most exciting lifestyle you'll ever embrace. It's a narrow road. You're, it's a narrow path. It's a difficult path. There's a lot of resistance coming at you from the other direction. You're going against the stream when you walk in Christ and you walk in his spirit. And there's a lot of groaning going on. First of all, you find yourself groaning. He talks about this, the suffering that's going on in the creation. You know, Paul is giving us something in verses 18. Now, we won't read them, but if you go back through these three paragraphs here, 18 through 27 and following there, you're going to see him describing something very mysterious. He's talking about the world that we live in and how there's so much groaning going on. I'm more aware of that this very day than ever in my life. Because of all the critters around my house. I walked out back the other day and there's this big old smelly, ugly something. I think it was either a possum or a fox. I know it wasn't a squirrel. It was too big. And it needed to be removed. And I was the one that had to do this. My wife and I began to, I looked up at the eave under our roof here by our swimming pool. And there was this squirrel with his head hanging down greeting me, and he and some of his friends have taken up residence in our attic. They're all over our attic. Something, we found a dead mouse right under the kitchen sink. Something died right in the wall of my office. <laughs> Smells to high heaven. I don't know what it is. My wife came to bed this morning at 6.30. She said, when I was walking out into the spa room, I looked down and there was a snake. And she said, would you please go? Notice I didn't scream, she said. I didn't come calling for you. I'm just telling you very quietly, there's a snake in our house. <laughs> We've got, you know, there's something wrong with creation. I'm just telling you that. There's something really wrong. There's something wrong with my body. Have you noticed your body is deteriorating? Well, you see, that is the, that's, the, that's what happened when sin entered creation. 
And Paul talks about that. The creation is groaning. It's waiting for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. When Christ returns, we receive our resurrection bodies and all that. It also says that we groan. It also says that the Spirit groans here, verses 28 and so forth. He said the Spirit helps us when we're praying because we don't know how to pray. But He helps us with these literally unutterable groanings. God enters into this with us. He knows what it is to be a mortal human being. He knows what it is to battle sin and sickness and Satan and, 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 and sorrow and death. He knows that battle. He's walked those streets, those ways with us in the incarnation. He knows what we're going through, you see. But through it all, through life in Him, we have hope beyond all hope. We know that one day, that we know who wins in this battle. We know who's coming back again, maybe sooner than any of us can ever believe or understand. And we can know Him now. And we can know Him in eternity. And we can be with Him in eternity. And that brings us to the final part here of this chapter, verses 31 and following. And I, will, I do want to read these verses. One of the reasons I want to read these verses is because they have become really precious to me through my father. Dr. Buskirk was talking about having a loving family. I was blessed with a loving family. My wife and I were visiting our daughter and son-in-law in Oahu, Hawaii. Somebody had to do it and we were willing. And uh, <laughs> we flew back to, uh, to uh, Oklahoma and we got a call from our friends in my hometown of Odessa saying, Larry, you need to get here. You're, both of your parents are in the hospital. Well, my father had had open heart surgery and had been, been very weak and uh, we knew that there was the day soon that he would be going to be with the Lord. But my mom was very strong. But all of a sudden, they're both in the hospital. When I got there, I walked into Dad's room. They had them in separate rooms. And Dad, they already had hospice material on the chair. So I went out to the Jewish doctor. They had a Jewish doctor, a Hindu doctor, and an Islamic doctor. They had three, you know, they're from, we've got to learn to interface with the other faiths, folks. Because they're on our doorstep now. And I really hit it off with a Jewish doctor. Uh, and uh, he said, yeah, your dad will be going with the Lord pretty soon. So you need to make the arrangements. Well, they found out my mom had terrible problems with her heart. And they had hospitalized her. So I took my dad home and we began to help with his arrangements. My mom called from the hotel, the, the uh, hospital room. Larry, how do you witness to a, a, a Hindu? And I said, well, Mama, just the way you witness to anybody, uh, they're either letting Jesus save them or they're trying to save themselves. She said, well, I thought my doctor might be a Christian. She said, I went to his office and he had a charisma magazine there. So I said, are, are you a, a person of faith? He said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm Hindu and I have a shrine in my home and I worship as a Hindu. And I said, well, Mama, just tell him, you know, he, that Jesus is the one who can save him. Well, Mama came home, and we had this magic day together, the three of us, Mom, Dad, and Larry, at the same kitchen table where I grew up. We, it was like God was letting us have a little gift here. And we relived our lives and all the blessings of our lives. The next morning, I was supposed to take both Mom and Dad to the doctor, and I heard a call from the other side of the house. Larry, come quickly. My mom had stepped out of the, the bathroom there in the master bedroom saying to her husband, uh, Toby, I just don't think I can do it. And then she collapsed on the floor. And my dad and I knelt and prayed for her, and we heard her breathe her last. 
I ran to the phone and, and called the emergency people. They tried for 30 minutes outside the house to, to revive her. And then as they got to the hospital, the same thing. But my mom went on to be with the Lord. Her funeral was four days later. At 4.20 that morning, my daddy decided it's time for him to go on too. Or Jesus decided. Within four days of each other. They always wanted to go to heaven together. Well, they got it. They got it. We had a, I called the funeral home and I said, Daddy just went to be with the Lord. Can we do it together? And they said, oh, yes, we can. So we had all our friends. We called everybody we could, but we didn't get everybody. So people walked in. Instead of having one casket, there were two caskets. And people were gasping. But you know, I'll tell you something. There were, it was bittersweet. Obviously, the, there was a huge hole. You never get over it. You never get over losing your parents, your loved ones. There's always going to be that hurt. But you know, there was also even deeper than that, a, 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 a current of peace and joy, knowing where they are. And my daddy's favorite passage of Scripture is the one I'm going to read to you right now. And why was it his favorite passage? Because it tells you how to have full assurance of faith. And it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your performance. You're never going to measure up. It's, never, it's not going to be how other people perform either. I, one of my worst pastors was down in Florida. And I told this dear friend of ours, who's a saint, and, uh, but she speaks prophetically and very honestly when you need it. And I said, Marge, I, I suppose the only thing I've learned by coming to this church to be the pastor is you can't trust anybody. And she said, well, as long as you realize you can't trust yourself either. In other words, heart, you, you're, you can be a jerk just like anybody else can be. You're not perfect yet. You still get in God's way sometimes. Your performance is not pristine, and that's just the fact of the matter. If it's based on my performance, I'll never know whether I have eternal life or not. I tell my students I'm not even a Christian until 9 in the morning anyway. You know, Billy Graham said he can't get off a good prayer until he's had a cup of coffee. So, I mean, we're all just normal people. And it's not, uh, not about me. It's about him. It's about what he's done. It's about what he's doing. He's in fully intending to finish what he starts. I can trust him to do it. Now look what it says. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. We've sung about this this morning. What a great worship service we had. But he gave him up for us all. Will, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice, in all these things. In the, we're not going to escape these things. But in these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have that full assurance? You can have it today. Let's pray right now, shall we? Oh, Lord, we have had nothing but a glorious Easter celebration today. And every song that we've sung, and as we've heard your good news from your word, oh, we celebrate you, our risen King, our risen Lord. Thank you for invading our lives. Thank you, Lord, for heading up our lives, heading up this church. Thank you, Lord, for providing every need that we have, both personally and corporately. Thank you for meeting every need according to your riches and glory. And Lord, I just pray if there's anybody in this room today who's not really in that wonderful, blessed state of full assurance of faith, that today would be the day of surrender. The day would be the day of, of leaving the performance treadmill and simply entrusting their lives to you, Lord Jesus Christ, who died in their place, who shed your blood for their forgiveness, who rose triumphant from the grave to give them eternal living hope. And Lord, I just pray they'll surrender their life to you, the only Lord, the only King, the only Savior. And we just want to say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. We're going to have a closing hymn. And we have people here. If you want to come forward and talk to me or anybody here in leadership in this congregation about full assurance of faith, that's what we're here for. Let's, let's sing together. Amen.